Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we answer your Bible questions. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield ourselves to that thing. That's when it becomes sin. I believe what this is, and I'm going to trust you. So what prophecies were they studying that helped them know when the Messiah would come? That's a good question. And I think we've got a pretty good answer for you here. Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written, where we answer your Bible questions. Love to let you know that if you have a Bible question, you can get that to us by emailing lineuponline at iiw.org. Lineuponline at iiw.org. I'm John Bradshaw. With me is Wes Peppers. Welcome, Wes. Thank you, Pastor John. Good to be here. Great to have you. And we're starting with, there's a fascinating question. It's a very good one. I'll give you the question. It comes Uh from Judith. Does God give us free will to make our own choices? That's the question. Yes. She had some extra information that, that helps us understand why she's asking. She, mm-hmm. she says that she read an article in which it was said that our genes and our environment shape the neurons in our brain. And when the neurons are firing, that determines the thoughts and dreams and hopes that we have and so forth. So do we really have free will? I've read a very similar article. Mm-hmm. which suggests we don't have free will because things are yeah. guiding our mind, determining certain processes. We respond to stimuli, and so therefore we cannot ultimately be in control of what we choose and what we don't. Now, the brain is a super complex thing, right? And you can, you can program your brain, program your mind. You can teach yourself to respond in certain ways, the famous experiment with Pavlov's dog, I think, comes into this. There might be times, every time I smell that perfume, I think of my great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. Well, was that freedom of choice, or was that just a thought that, well, c- kind of both, you know, because sure. you had taught yourself to connect one with the other. Social media is so effective because the social media scientists have learned to manipulate people by, by the um, content that you see, the emotions that are aroused, the little games and tricks that they play. So you might say, man, I'm being manipulated, guided, there are processes. But the idea that you don't have freedom of choice is absolutely damaging and devastating. What that means is that you are pawn in somebody else's game. It means that you don't have agency, and it means that you are subject to forces outside of yourself that lead you this way or that. When the Bible makes really, really clear that Jesus would guide your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I would add to that that many of the things she mentions here, our environment or our genes or other pieces, have an impact no on the thoughts that we have. Yep. But we still get to choose what we're going to do with those thoughts, and we still have freedom of choice. If we didn't have freedom of choice, we might as well just float through life and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. So we have to be careful about that. So there are a number of Bible verses that also support that. I'm thinking of one. In Philippians 2, verse 5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was in Jesus Christ, which is saying that without Jesus Christ, there is another mind in you. You you are not being influenced by his power. But that key word there, let, in the beginning of the verse, let, that means you're giving permission to, you're choosing to, you're making a conscientious choice to say, I'm going to let God rule my mind. And then God will begin to put his thoughts there. And so the environment you're in, yes, you can't control all those things, but your brain will process all the events and all the circumstances of your life 
And then, obviously, you have to make a conscientious choice on how you're going to respond to those things. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So you don't have to be pushed around. It's really important you understand this, that you do have free will and you can make your own decisions and your mind just doesn't have to be swayed like a tree in the breeze. Um, one reason many unhappy people are unhappy is because they choose to be unhappy. Yeah, that's right. One reason that people struggle is because they choose to struggle. Yeah. Or they choose not to allow God to, to lead them in a positive way. You go into an airport, right? And there's some of these airport workers, they, they look like, they act like, they sound like life is miserable. Yeah, that's right. We've seen a lot of those. Yeah. And then there are others. Have you ever come across somebody who's standing, they're just there to direct the direct mm-hmm. foot traffic, and they maybe they're singing, mm-hmm. or they're happy. Or they're, I, I can remember several who sing, and they've turned their, their existence into a, a positive, fun, a happy thing. How did that begin? It was a choice, right? That's right. I'm going to make the most of That's this. Right. Or Bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Every day. Yeah. And you can say bad things happen, but God is still good, and I'm going to respond positively to this. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, you're, uh, you can, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. I love Romans 4 because it talks about Abraham, and it says that his body was dead. God made a promise of the promised one to come, his son, and it says his body was dead. And it says he did not look to his circumstances, but he looked to God in faith. And so no matter what your circumstances are, you can still choose to be happy. And, you know, it's amazing. Those people that are yelling at you in the airport, you just kind of want to dodge them. But the people that are singing, you almost want to go over there and stand oh, yeah. beside them just to yeah. enjoy the presence of it. So it makes a difference not just for you, but for other people what you're choosing. You can choose to think what you want to think. You're at the store and the person on the other side of the, the checkout is, is grumpy. You can think, and it can ruin your day. Or you could think, that's okay. Maybe I'll pray for that person. Maybe that person's having a tough time. I don't need to take it personally. So, yeah, things happen. Stimuli come at you. Uh, environment, circumstances, a whole bunch of things going on in your brain. But ultimately, you have free choice. And that's because you've given your choice to God to guide and guard your choices. Wes, we have a number of questions on the subject of death Mm -hmm. and the afterlife. Some of these might go pretty quickly. Sure. Let's see if we can knock them out. We're on a bit of a... Yeah. There's a bit of a thread here. We'll do a little marathon here. Yeah. Anna asks, John 3.13 says, Nobody has ever gone to heaven when they died. Acts 2.34 says, David did not go to heaven. Can you explain these to me? Sure. Uh, You know, the Bible is clear all the way through that when you die, you go to rest. You go to a sleep, an unconscious sleep. And the Bible calls it that. John chapter 11 is a great chapter to read where Jesus himself says that. In Acts chapter 2, you look at uh, verse 34, as she's uh, mentioning here, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but set himself uh, to my Lord, set at my right hand till I make your enemy your footstool. Interesting. So David died, didn't go to heaven. What's up with that? Yeah, because the Bible says in the Old Testament and the books of Kings that he slept with his fathers. He's still sleeping. And, uh, you know, it says also in Acts chapter 2 that he was sleeping, and it's verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. 
So he's resting. Now, I would add to this uh, something that David himself said, Psalm 17, verse 15, mm. where David says, I will be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. That's right. So David understood that when he died, he would go to his rest and be called forth in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. Very clear from the Bible. Absolutely clear. Uh, Janice asks, when we get to heaven, will we be able to ask God questions and talk with him? Well, I sure hope so. <laughs> Imagine if the answer was no. Yeah, if God said, no, nah, you guys stay over there in heaven, I'll be over here. And, and no, I, I, we'll be able to talk to him every day. Hopefully, any time that we want to, you, I would imagine so. We can talk to him now. That's right. Imagine getting heaven up and able to That's talk to right. Janice, right. you get to heaven, God, is, God will welcome you into his office or his living room or whatever the situation might be. You, need, you ought to be planning right now to get to heaven and ask God lots of questions and talk to God. And uh, he is hoping that you will do that. That's right. It'll be his delight. Absolutely. Maricela asks, what's the difference between reincarnation and incarnation? Okay, the incarnation is when Jesus came in bodily form. And you can say that about any person. Incarnate, in bodily form, uh, when Jesus was on the earth. Reincarnation? Yeah. Reincarnation is you come back in bodily form. That's right. Now, we know reincarnation really to be the Hindu concept or perhaps the Buddhist concept, but Hindus certainly believe you live, you die, you come back as something else. You, are, you come back, you are reincarnated. We don't believe that at all. I would not call the resurrection reincarnation, though you could technically, but I think that word reincarnation has too many negative connotations. Yeah. We would just simply call it resurrection. So the incarnation, when Jesus came as a man, when a person is living in bodily form, reincarnation, a myth, a falsehood, an error. We don't believe that at all. It's not anywhere in the Bible. And uh, yeah, it's based upon mysticism and Hinduism. And it's a very dangerous belief. You know, you live a bad life, you come back as a grasshopper. You live yeah. a good life, you come back as something better. Um, you go down if you were bad in the life. So you're rewarded on where it's a works-based yes, belief. So yes. we don't we don't touch that. It's really interesting that some of these Eastern religions are looked at with fascination. Mm -hmm. They're works-based. Yeah, there's no faith. So. There's no yeah. savior. There's no grace. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's slavery. Yep. And it's using my own strength to overcome. I asked one time a Buddhist person. I said, you know, what do you do with the concept of sin, the concept of evil humanity? And the answer was, I just meditate above it. How about that? I said, so what do you do when you try to, you think you've meditated above it and then it's still there? Why well, just meditate some more? So the, the solution in that thinking is to me. not think about it. Well, yeah, or yeah. me, but, or no, to not think, about, not think it. about it. So that's a scary thought. We need to be thinking about it and know that we need a Savior. Amen. Terrence, when we get to heaven, will we still have our own identities or do we lose our identities when we get there? Well, Paul wrote, then will I know even as I am known. Jesus went to heaven and came back and he was still Jesus. Imagine getting to heaven and being someone, something else. Yeah. No, that's science no fiction. No point in that. Yeah. Robert asks, I'm studying Romans 7 and find that reconciling, following the law and not needing to based on verse 6 is confusing. Can someone help clarify this for me? Ah, Romans 7. Great chapter of the Bible. Let's take a look. Verse 6, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. Now keep in mind, the same Bible writer said, Do we make void the law? He said, No, God forbid we establish the law. So you've got a statement like that. He's certainly not doing away the law, but the law is a means of salvation. The law is a means of achieving righteousness. No, salvation comes and righteousness comes 
only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, in Romans 7, we could do the setup here, reading the first few verses, but let's read further on. In Romans 7, Paul says, the things I want to do, I'm not capable of doing. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And so I find this, this thing going on in my life. He cried out, he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Now, he said, I can't reconcile this fight that's going on. Who can? Only one person, only Jesus. Then, Romans 8 and verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So the Spirit of God working in your life will lead you in harmony with God's will for your life. And when you get further over to Romans chapter 13, same man is writing to the same group of people, Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Nowhere in Romans do we contemplate the idea of getting rid of the law or minimizing the importance of the law. Paul would say, though, justification, getting saved, doesn't come through the law. Instead, it comes through faith. The law is still there. That's our guide. It leads us to Jesus. It shows you you're a sinner. Jesus is a great Savior. The law is still vitally important. But if you're using that to get to heaven, you're kind of missing the point. All right, we'll be back with more Line Up Online in just a moment. It's one of the most challenging books in the Bible. Why do hard challenges come? Why does God allow difficulty and distress? And what's going on behind the scenes in a world filled with suffering and sorrow? Our ongoing series, Great Characters of the Bible, continues with a look at the life of Job, a man described by God as perfect and upright, yet afflicted by a devastating illness. Some of the most difficult questions people have deal with the God who permits suffering. Yet the Bible presents logical, accessible answers that make sense and grow your faith in the God of heaven. Struggling to find answers, his integrity attacked by his friends and questioned by his wife, Job's journey into the depths of anguish provides answers for everyone and presents a clear picture of the character of God. Don't miss Great Characters of the Bible, Job. Brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Line Up Online, brought to you by It Is Written. Love to hear from you. If you have a Bible question, email it to us at lineuponline at iiw.org. I'm John Bradshaw. He is Wes Peppers. This is a question, and the question comes from Wendy, who asks, Please explain Psalm 8318. Does it mean that there's only one singular person named God? Okay, I'll read the verse that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. Is there just one individual who is God? We believe, the Bible teaches, Christians for the most part believe that God is a, is, is a union of three co-eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's Does right. this negate that? No, it doesn't. It's just speaking about God the Father. That's it. And uh, that's just, that doesn't mean there's only one God. It's just referring to him specifically in that. Well, let's and, be clear uh, because someone's going to pick up on what you said. There's only one God. There's only one God. That's Not right. only one person. That's right. One God, 
three individuals. Yes. And, and people struggle with this because it's, it's foreign to the Western way of thinking. And that's usually where the struggle comes from. And then, you know, there's some struggles. It's, well, it's the Spirit of God. Well, you're saying it's a person, but it says the Spirit. Well, it is the Spirit of God. It is. Also an individual person. It's also a person. Yeah. You know, look, you don't really need to overcomplicate this. You really don't. It's fascinating. There are three who are one. That's, n- that's not too hard for you to really get your head around. There are three who are referred to as one. Three different, but together they comprise one God. You don't need to overcomplicate this, and many people do, trying to find answers that God has not revealed. Well, what exactly is the Holy Spirit? Well, you read the Bible, and you just take it from that, and if that answers your questions, great, and if it doesn't, great, but it doesn't mean that you throw the Holy Spirit out of the, out of the Godhead. Yeah. How can Jesus be eternal when he's called the Son? Well, he existed before the incarnation, came to the earth, incarnated as a man, born, raised, died. Doesn't mean he couldn't live from eternity. Yeah, but it's the year buts. That's right. Because That's some right. of the Bible's complicated. That's right. You know. If how, we'll, how, hey, listen. How can God be eternal? Yes. Answer that. Yeah. There how is can no God answer. be eternal? He is because he is. He is because he he's is. always been. Yeah. And, you know, you look at you look at Jesus, John 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The yep. Word is with God. The Word was God. In, in John chapter 16, uh, 14, 15, 16, Jesus talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. Again and again in the end. Calls him a heat. I find that a lot of these people, they focus less on what we do know, and they want to obsess about what we don't know. That's a dangerous thing to do. 100% accurate. Um, I, would, I would say this. A lot of people get confused about the Godhead, the Trinity, the personhood of the Holy Spirit, the eternal nature of Jesus. You know why? Because it's complicated. It's easy, but it's complicated. Daniel 11, the last few verses of Daniel 11, that's complex too, and people can get sideways on that. Not that that's the end of the world, mm-hmm. you know. You could look at something in, in, in the book of Revelation and be sort of confused by that. Don't let your lack of knowledge be exploited by people who prey on you. For example, someone says, you believe that the Holy Spirit's a person? Yes. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, it says here, Spirit of God. Well, your response ought to be, yeah, "Yeah, it does say that. That's right. But instead, some people say, oh, no. And then they'll say, you've been lied to. Right. I've been lied to? Yes. And then someone will say, did you know that this idea of the the, the unity of three co-eternal persons is a Catholic idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I've been lied to and I believe in Catholicism. I don't care whose idea it is because it's God's idea. That's right. If, if People are exploited because they don't always have ready answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then it's like, oh, well, if I don't have an answer and then you have an answer. That's right. And now you're separating me from the church I've been a part of all of my life over something that shouldn't even be uh, a topic of discussion in this way. And just because you don't have an answer right then doesn't mean there isn't an answer. Correct. You can have an answer. You know, you can go back and study and, and have that answer. And sometimes people are trying to intentionally catch you off guard. Yeah. And they will ni- manipulate you. We've had, I've had this issue as a pastor in many yeah. of my churches. My people uh, get caught up in these types of things. And what happens is sometimes they'll sever themselves off from the church and they'll try to be a part of a group or a movement. And in just a short time, that thing dissolves away. Goes nowhere. And then they're left a shipwreck of their faith. It's very discouraging. You know, people who believe that death is asleep, there are some challenging verses. Mm -hmm. There are some verses that we've got answers for, but at the end of the day, the answers aren't 
thoroughly convincing, you know, if you aren't convinced by those answers. That's right. Uh, we believe the seventh day is the Sabbath, but there are some verses. Okay, not many really, but there may be a verse here or there that is a challenging verse. It doesn't shake my faith. That's right. Doesn't doesn't separate me. I don't want to go join some other group. But this thing about the Trinity, because there are some questions and you don't have answers for them. Yeah. Don't let that lack of an answer shake your faith, move you away, destabilize you. Hang in there. Stay with the body of Christ. The Lord, the Lord God of heaven is one, but he is three because the three are one. It's not that complicated when you look in the Bible and you see that Jesus is clearly God. The Father is clearly God. The Spirit is clearly God. No one else is even remotely God. There are three and they are one. Amen. All right, there we go. So we're asking a question now from Yvonne. Why is there any need to raise the wicked dead only to kill them again with hellfire? You know, we've answered this before, but it's okay to answer it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? And that's a fair question. The lost people are lost. They die. Why would God resurrect them just to destroy them? Well, because God is going to finish the great controversy. He's going to get rid of sin and the wicked before they are destroyed will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All will say, God, you were right. We were wrong. And God is vindicated forever throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Now, it may be, oh, can you imagine? There'll be people who witness the destruction of the wicked. And you might have had a question somewhere in the back of your mind. Well, perhaps this person should be saved. And you will see that person will never repent, will not cry out for mercy, will say God was right and I was wrong. There are myriad reasons why God does what he does. And uh, what he does is just and true and right. Okay, where's the next question? There's a question from Wayne. Can you explain Leviticus 25, 44 to 46? having trouble with verse 46 especially. If God didn't want any of the Israelites to be in perpetual slavery, why did they pass on slaves from among the nations around them to their children as an inheritance? Mm. Hey, that's a fair question, you it's know. a very fair question. If God didn't agree with slavery, mm-hmm. why is he even saying, oh, yeah, you can pass him slaves on to your, yeah. to your descendants? Yeah. This is a this is a question and, an, and a subject, a topic that a lot of atheists hammer on because they say, "Oh well, the Bible teaches that it's okay to have slavery." Right. Well, the Bible does not teach that. <laughs> it does not. Nor did God permit it. There's a difference in God permitting something or, or or commanding something and Him allowing something. The reason that they did that was because of humanity, the the wickedness of the human heart. But here's what I found: I had I had to do in a certain country. This was a very hot topic, and at a very famous university, I won't mention, but there were clubs that basically said Christianity was about colonizing and enslaving people. Yeah, mercy, really. And they had clubs where they would have these discussions, and so it was a very hot topic on the university. So I had to study this out, and which I, I had an answer, but I needed to have a very thorough answer, so I studied it. And what became blatantly clear to me is that God was the civil rights leader of, <laughs> of these people. You know, in, in the sense of this, that when humanity was enslaving, God was giving rights to the slave. Yes. And in a culture where you know, many people will throw out the Bible because they say, oh, well, it was 
built upon a culture that was abusive to women. God gave rights to women. Yes, he, it he was did. He protect, God. protected the dignity. He protected their dignity as a human. And so you find with, with when God is allowing this, he's at the same time setting up things so that they're treated fairly and rightly. And that's, that's a powerful concept. Because of sin, there has been slavery from just about the get-go of this world. That's right. I don't know. Maybe there's one or two or three. I don't know of any cultures that haven't practiced slavery. That's right. I just don't. Uh, slavery was around long before the colonies of North America were around. Yeah. As is evidenced here that we're talking about slavery in Leviticus. So why did God say you can do this with your slaves if God's against slavery? That's because God met people where they were. I don't understand why he didn't send thunder and lightning from heaven and say this is to be forbidden, but he didn't. He didn't, he didn't prevent divorce from happening. Jesus said Moses allowed it because of the hardness of your heart. That's in Matthew 19 and other places. He didn't uh, forbid, well, he did forbid, but he didn't stop polygamy. Abraham had more than one wife. Solomon had help. So many wives, but God was working with people where they were. You get down a little later on, God's working this stuff out. He's working it out. So don't be, I'm not accusing our questioner of this, but don't be intellectually lazy and say there was slavery. God didn't wipe it out. And so therefore God is into slavery. He's not into slavery, not alone. By the way, the slavery back then, there were guidelines and there were protections afforded slaves back then that, that certainly were not practiced in more modern forms of slavery, such as we saw in the United States and the colonies in Brazil and, and other places like that. So I would encourage you, Wayne, to understand that God was just working with people where they were. He certainly wasn't involved in slavery. Interestingly, it was Christians in Great Britain that rose up and had slavery abolished throughout yeah. the British Empire. Yeah. God working through Christian people, such as John Newton, who had been a slaver, and William Wilberforce, who had a wonderful turnaround in his life. He worked through these Christians to get that evil out of society. And, and think, of, think if God had have just brought the hammer down for people who uh, weren't ready to receive that, and, and, and they... It very well could be that they could have resisted that and gone into something much worse. Hey, listen. Uh, when Martin Luther came along, mm -hmm. the church had been in darkness forever. Martin Luther didn't spray him with yeah. all the That's light. Right. God didn't give Luther all the light. Mm -hmm. but, he, but through Luther, he communicated what was appropriate at that given time. Same with Zwingli. He didn't give everything through Zwingli. Man, uh, by the time John Wesley came along... They were still adding pieces to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And and later, the seventh-day Sabbath was, was added back more generally throughout Christianity. Later still, the focus on the second coming of Jesus. So the, the people who are going to bellyache about God working with people and not knocking their block off because they married two women and, 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 it's, and instead working with them to grow them out of that, you know, you ought to look in the mirror and thank God that he takes the same approach with you, works with you. You didn't walk in the front door of a church and then God demanded perfection of you instantly. He allows you to grow. That's the way he's worked with his people down through time. Well, 
Good one. Good question. Very good one. Very really good appreciate question. your input Absolutely. here. Absolutely. We yeah. appreciate you being with us. This has been a great amount of fun. We hope you'll join us again next time. Submit your questions to us. We'll do our best to answer your questions as well. With West Peppers, I'm John Bradshaw. See you again next time for more Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. <laughs>